listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. excited about this word today. I'm excited about this new series. I'm telling you right now, you, you, you better put your seatbelt on. You get it, better get ready because we're going to go in for a ride. We're going to be talking over the next three weeks of dealing with offense. We're going to be talking about living unoffended. Living unoffended in our life. And when you start talking about offense, it's such a broad title. It's such a broad message. It's so far-reaching in so many different areas. But I'm here to tell you, the result of living unoffended is even broader-reaching. It's even more liberating and blessing that we can have. And it's a massive topic and there's some answers that we need to have. And I pray today that you're going to get an answer to a specific question. But more than that, answers to other questions. Because here's what we believe and here's the truth. Are you ready? Every answer that you have is found in the Word of God. Every answer that you may have, every question, should I say, that you have, the answer is in the Word of God. That's how I need to say it. Every question that you can have, the answer is in God's Word. That's why we need to read God's Word. That's why we need to be in tune with God's Word. Look at this statement, and please, be taking notes. You need this. You need this. You need this. Look at this first statement today. Ignorance is not an excuse. It's a bondage. It's a bondage because we live in a time and an age right now where we don't have to be ignorant. We have the ability through being every Sunday, we're teaching you the Word of God. You have the opportunity every Sunday to hear the truth. But one thing you've got to realize is this, because whether you know it or not does not determine the outcome. Let me use an example for you. If a policeman pulls you over on your way leaving church today and he asks you a question, two questions they ask you. First question is this, do you know how fast you were going? Second question is, do you know what the speed limit? The reason I know that, me too. Come on, anyone with me? I've been asked that question many times, unfortunately. God's dealing with me. I can't help that one foot's heavier than the other. But, you know, God's dealing with me. But it's amazing, isn't it? What if I say to the policeman, I just don't know the speed? He's not going to turn around and say, well, sir, I am so sorry. I'm sorry for inconveniencing you today. I didn't realize that you didn't know the speed. Listen. Go, man, my bad. I mean, come on, they're not going to say that. They're going to turn around and say, whether you know it or not, that's the speed limit. That's the law, and you broke the law. What am I saying is ignorance is not an excuse. It's a bondage. Because you need to know, you need to find out, because the Word of God says we need to study to show ourselves approved. We need to study... And being alive with God. So I'm so excited as we're talking about living unoffended. I think these next few Sundays are going to be absolutely life-changing and bring such freedom. Because really, when we talk about living unoffended, here's the truth. We're talking about living with forgiveness. Not harboring unforgiveness in your heart. Not holding on to a grudge, resentment that's going to destroy your life through bitterness. But letting go of those things. Look what the Bible says, John 8, 32. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you, shall set you free. I like that. You've got to know the truth. That word know there means not only knowing it in your mind, but it means living it out by personal experience. That's how we know the truth. Too many people know the right thing to do, but they don't do it. That's not the word no there. The Bible is saying we've got to discover and find out what's right. Then do it. And in that response, then freedom comes into our lives. So we're going to know the truth about offense. We're going to know the truth about harboring unforgiveness and what it wants to produce in our life. Every year, here's how I begin my year. 
Every year, 2016, the 1st of January, I said these words out loud. I didn't care who heard it. It was for me and it was for God. I says, God, this year I choose to live unoffended. Every year I begin my year like that. I have to remind myself that many times. But I believe there's a great liberty that we can have. What a principle to live by. That I choose to go through this year, any circumstance, any situation, unoffended. Why? Because, listen to me, offense is never given. It's only ever received. Oh, but they did this to me and they said that to me. Yes, they did, but that still does not give you or me the right to accept it, to take that into heart. Why? Because maybe they gave it, but I choose whether I'm going to receive it or not. And this is going to be a life-changing few weeks that we're going to discover and discover truths that not only are going to change our lives, but truths that we can pass on to other people. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. We're going to lay a foundation today. Luke 17, it begins by this. Jesus saying, words in red in your Bible. Jesus speaking, important words. Then Jesus said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're going to be offended. Or there's going to be opportunity for offense. Notice there is one thing that's impossible and Jesus says this. It's impossible that you'll live an unoffended life. Because offense is going to be around you each and every day. And then Jesus says, but woe to him through offense comes. There's going to be offense. But Jesus says, watch, you're not the guilty party. It would be better if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, then he should offend one of these little ones. Pretty strong words, but Jesus is showing the implication of what happens through offense. Take heed of yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, then seven times in a day he returns to you and says, I'm sorry, I repent. Every time the Bible says we've got to do what? We've got to forgive him or her. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Say that with me, increase Increase. our faith. Build our strength, build, strengthen our faith. I love the New Living Translation says, Lord, we need more faith. We need more faith. So what do we see here? We see that offense, which is really the temptation to sin and cause someone else to fall into sin, is all around us. In fact, Jesus again said it's impossible to live a day, to go through a week, to live a month, a year. It's impossible that offense will not present itself to you. It's going to happen. Then he gives us a strong warning. He says, make sure you're not the one bringing the offense. But then the key to it all is this. Jesus said, here's how you need to live. You need to live in forgiveness. You need to let go of those things and forgive those around you. He talks about if they ask for it, then you forgive them. But Jesus speaks about repentance in the word of God in this way. Even if they don't ask for your forgiveness, it's still your responsibility to forgive. Why? Because unforgiveness will be a wall or a barrier between you and God. So if you want a relationship with God, it's not really about what they've done to you. It's about what you're doing to yourself because you are robbing the ability or the blessings of God to come into your life through having unforgiveness in your heart. But pastor, you don't know what they've done. Listen, we can't change the past, but I'm telling you what they are doing to you every day. They are robbing you from the fullness of God because there's a barrier there between you and God called unforgiveness. So Jesus says, you've got to forgive them. Even if it's seven times a day, you've got to be prepared to say, listen, I'm sorry. Don't hold a grudge and move on beyond that. Not easy, not easy. And remind yourself of this. I think this helps a lot with forgiveness. Are you ready? Forgiveness doesn't make them right, but it sets you free. Well, if I forgive them, then they're going to be get away with it. Listen, vengeance is mine, God says. I'm going to handle my business. You handle your business and it makes you free. Come on, it doesn't make them right what they've done, but it makes you free. 
And that's what we need, the freedom in our lives. So all these points are so powerful and important. But to everything that they just said, what was their reply? Their reply to Jesus was, we need more faith. God, to do that, you need to increase our faith. God, to forgive those, to not be offended. God, we need more faith. It's absolutely incredible. Picture this, 12 men, the disciples of Jesus, they were around Jesus for three plus years. In those times, what did they see? They saw Jesus do such miraculous miracles. In fact, John, I believe it is, in the last chapter says, if every miracle of Jesus was recorded, there would not be books enough in this world to hold everything that he did. And it wasn't just because of what he did, it's what's still happening today because miracles are not over. But the disciples, they saw blinded eyes open. Wow. They saw a man with a withered hand stretched forth and it came back to life. They saw lepers cleansed and made whole. They saw dead men come back. They saw storms cease as he stood and said, peace be still. They saw five loaves and two fishes feed 20 plus thousand people. And the list goes on and on and on. And it's amazing to me that with all those things that they saw, never once do you hear the disciples say, God, would you give us faith? to do those things. Never once as a result of those things did they ask for God to increase their faith. But when Jesus talks about forgiving other people, help. What was their immediate response? God, you've got to increase our faith. Jesus, you've got to help us. You've got to enable us. I want to tell you right now, it's not a case of more faith that you need. It's just a case of walking in the obedience of God. Because God says everyone's been given a measure of faith. You've got enough faith to forgive. It's just making the choice whether you're going to do it or not. That's the thing. It's not about the faith. It's about the choice that you and I choose to make. Why do we need faith? Why do we need God's help? Why do we need God's strength? Because it's not a question of the opportunity to be offended. But what will our response to it be? The word offense, the actual term itself, is like a stumbling block, like tripping up someone as they're going through life, that you can just trip them up in their lives. But literally, if you can picture in your mind a trap, a snare, like a mouse trap. Anyone ever had mice in your house? You'll get a little trap. Man, those things are crazy, aren't they? You you, you catch yourself three times before you even catch a mouse. And and I know poor Judah, a few months ago, he was in the house and there was a mouse trap. And he went upstairs to see mum and dad. And all of a sudden we heard that, like that. And we heard this scream. You know, as parents, when you hear a scream from your kid. All of a sudden, we're like running up the stairs and his finger is just red. He's trapped. We're like, Dad, what's up? And Dad said, I saw it. And just as I opened my mouth, bam, that thing went off. I'm telling you right now, Judah avoids every trap now like the plague. He like looks at it and he goes, trap, trap, because he knows they're going to slap you. So the thought of offense is this. It's the trigger part of the trap. It's the little piece that you put the bait on. So when the mouse or whatever crawls along and begins to eat that, bam, it catches them in the snap. That's what offense is. It's the trigger, it's the bait, it's that which wants to lure us in. So when we begin to participate in it or take it into our hearts, bam, we're the ones that's trapped, not the person who laid the trap. We're the ones that are ensnared. Anyone who's a hunter who would use such tactics know that there's two key elements that you need. You need to have it hidden well and you need to have the right bait. I'm telling you right now, Satan wants to hide these things and he baits us with everything that he knows is going to be appealing and draw. And the thing is this, that when we are trapped, we still produce fruit. Do you know that offended people produce fruit? Here's what they produce, hurt. They produce anger, they produce outrage, revenge, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, hatred, envy. And the sad reality is often those who are offended don't even realize that they're the ones that are trapped. They think they're going to show everyone else. 
where everyone else around them realizes you're not showing anyone. You're showing yourself. You're showing the state of your heart because most of the time they're oblivious. We're oblivious to our condition because we're so focused on the wrong that has been done to us that we're living in the denial of what we are still doing to our lives. You see, when we get offended, we become a wall builder. God calls us to tear down walls. God calls us to be a bridge builder. But when we get offended, we build up walls, and and we call them walls for our protection. Look what it says in Proverbs 18, verse 19. It says, a brother offended, anyone offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Strong cities have big walls around them. They build big walls for this reason, to keep unwanted guests out, to keep those they don't want in out. We construct the same type of walls to keep the hurt and the pain and someone else from having the, another opportunity to hurt us and harm us again. We build those walls and we tell ourselves we're doing that to safeguard our hearts to prevent us from having any more wounds in the future. Let's just build a wall all around us and we're going to be protected. In doing that, we then just open up our lives to selective people. We open up our lives to people that we convinced are on our side. But when we look deeper, they're offended people too. And they can't help us except for help us build bigger walls. And help us to begin to what? To begin to look at ourselves and justify our actions and what we are. So now our walls of protection really become a prison. That we are imprisoned within those things. There are so many reasons why we shouldn't build those walls, but one of the main ones I think is this walls will stop everything. Well, I'm just gonna build this wall and then I'll never be hurt again. Listen, that same wall that stops hurt is the same wall that's going to stop acceptance. That same wall that stops pain is going to be the same wall that's going to stop healing from getting through. It's going to stop love. It's going to stop grace. It's going to stop mercy. It's going to stop the things that you need to get into your life. The things that you so desperately need. I'm telling you right now, those walls are even going to stop God. What? Yes. Because God says, I'm not going to go against your will. And our will is when we choose to build those walls and hide behind. We choose to say, God, here's where my faith is in. Here's what is going to protect me instead of throwing it all out and saying, God, you're the one that's going to protect me. You're the one that's going to watch over me. It's time to tear down walls. It's time to tear down those walls. And it's not therefore leaving our lives unprotected. A lot of people think, oh, though, if I tear down the walls, then, then they're going to walk all over me. It's the end. It's not going to happen. No, 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 no. You're not tearing down your walls for unprotection. You're tearing down your walls so you can be in right protection. Because Proverbs 18 verse 10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous can run in and they are safe. God is your safety. He's your security. He will help you. I love the message Bible. It says God's name is a place of protection. That God's people can run there and be safe. God's name is your protection. I wish I had more time to preach this today. Living with His name is such a powerful thought. When we talk about in the Word of God the unpardonable sin. What is the unpardonable sin? Anyone know what the unpardonable sin is? Taking the name of the Lord God in vain. You know what we as the church is labeled as taking the name of the Lord in vain? Don't say God. Don't say Jesus Christ. Don't say it wrong. Because then you're taking the Lord's name in vain. That's very important and we shouldn't do that. But I believe taking the Lord's name in vain is a lot deeper reaching than that. Let me use this example. When Kelly married me, her name changed from what it was before she married me. Because when she married me, she took my name. So now she's Kelly Pimlot. I want you to see something. That name now represents relationship that we have, a closeness and a relationship. When we take the name of the Lord in vain, we're not living according to the name. We're not living according to the relationship. And that's why there's no forgiveness. Because if we're not in relationship with God, we can't be saved. 
And when we talk about the name of the Lord is a strong tower, it's not just saying Jesus. It's realizing that my name, come on, is Philip Christ. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm a God. But what I'm saying is when I gave my life to him, I took on the name, the identity of Christ in my life. And now because of that relationship, I can have safety and security because I can run to God. No matter the struggle and no matter the pain. The opportunities of offense are around us every day. The trap has been set. But you and I have got to choose not to live in bondage. Because we place our life at the control and the mercy of that person who has offended us. We take the control from God and we put the control into another man's hands. So what's the question we want to answer today? Here it is. Do I have the right to be offended? Do I have the right to be offended? Come on, if I have been genuinely mistreated, do I have the right to hold on to that and be offended? Pastor, if you only knew what they had done to me, If you only knew what they had said about me. Come on, pastor, you would agree with me too because it was wrong. They wronged me. It's not a case of us sitting down and agreeing about the wrong. Because let's just get something straight. They wronged you. It wasn't right what they did. They were wrong for what they did. But I'm not going to help you by sitting down and agreeing with you and feeling sorry for you. And don't get me wrong. We've got compassion and we love people. But the reality is this. We're going to throw our hands in the air and say, man, you're 100% right. They did wrong you. It was wrong. It's not right. But I'm going to align my life to God. I'm not going to connect to the wrong. I'm going to connect to the right. I'm going to live in a way that's going to honor him. Get over your past. I'm not trying to be unkind. You got to get over it because if not, it's going to control you moving forwards. They wronged you. Yes, but it does not give you the right. It gives you the opportunity, but it does not give you the right. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. What a great example from the Word of God. And I really encourage you to read the whole story of Joseph. We're just going to scan through it today. And I want to start at the end and then I want to go to the beginning. Genesis 50, verse 19 and 20. Genesis 50, 19 and 20. Joseph's brothers are standing in front of him. He is second in charge now over the land of Egypt. He's been promoted and blessed. He's in a position of great authority. Joseph's brothers have come to him begging for help. Joseph says to them, his brothers, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. Verse 20, But as for you, what you did to me, here's what Joseph said, You meant it for evil against me. But God meant it for good. Now it wasn't good, don't get me wrong, it wasn't good that we're going to discover that he went through. But what do we know is this, what Satan means for hurt and harm, this is where we get this from, what Satan means for our demise and to take us down, God says I can use that as the platform to promote you and bless you, but the key to it all is this, what are you going to do with the situation? Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. He said, God has used my adversity and trials to produce life, not only for myself, but the life for other people. I love verse 19. I am in the place of God. That was tough for him to say that. Because he has every opportunity to be angry, upset, mad, and take full revenge for what happened to him. But what do we see? His heart was right. He chose right. And therefore, he could say, I'm now in the place of God. We need to live in the place of God because when we're in the place of God, anything is possible and anything can happen. He chose, like you and I need to, to have God take care of it. He refused to hold on to it for himself. 
I really believe this, we can become the God of our own future. We can become the God of our own future. We can take those things and we can be the God of our future. The only problem with you being the God of your future is you do not possess the power to bless yourself. (laughs) You don't possess the power to heal yourself. You don't possess the power to do really good for yourself. Oh, I can go out and work and I can go. Yeah, you can go out and work. But you try that without being blessed of God and see how far that's going. You can produce a little, but God says, I want to give you much. We don't possess the power that we need in our lives. But yet when we choose, we take ourselves out of the place of God. His blessing. So let's look at the beginning. Jacob, Joseph's father, had 12 sons. Joseph is number 11. Joseph was the firstborn to Rachel. Rachel is the father's favorite. Great story that he was given another woman. He woke up in the morning. He's like, what? Leah. He didn't realize. Wrong woman. Not a good situation. Didn't start off really good. Works another seven years, gets Rachel, loved Rachel. Rachel's womb was barren, it was closed. He had children by Leah and other people, but he could not have children by Rachel. Then God remembered Rachel and she had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was the favorite of his father Jacob. Genesis 37 verse 3, we can see now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his other children. Because he was the son of his old age and he made him a tunic of many colors. Joseph was given a coat, a striped coat, a colorful coat. I don't know much about it. It was a coat of many colors. What that robe or that coat signified was royalty. Royalty would wear such a cloak. Everyone of that day would have a robe. They would have a cloak. They would have something that would identify them. They would use it for their work. They would use it for sleep. They would use it for warmth. It was that which identified them. Everyone else's robes were bland and boring because it symbolized the life that they had. But Joseph's was bright. It was fluorescent. People saw him come and it symbolized royalty. And some people even believe it meant that he would take the inheritance, that he would have control over the whole family. And as a result, he wouldn't have to work for it. It would be given to him. It's a picture while everyone else is working, he's just sporting his coat. And he's just sporting it and walking around. And it didn't go well with his brothers. Verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. In other words, they couldn't say a kind word to him. Every day was a car ride from hell. If you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. Man, he touched me. No, he didn't. They they were just bickering. They could not say a kind word about him. Parents just want to encourage you. Summer's coming. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Get ready. And then in the middle of all of this, Joseph has two dreams. He didn't just dream them. He didn't just eat pizza late at night and the cheese made him dream. These were dreams that were given to him by God. Two dreams. The first one, he saw sheaths of corn. Actually, 11 sheaths of corn. And they bowed down to his sheath that stood up amongst them. 12 sheaths, 11 bowed. He stood up in the midst. Second dream, he saw the sun, the moon, and 11 stars, and they came, and they all bowed down before him. First dream, his brothers. Second dream, brothers and parents was involved in the dream. Didn't go over well. In fact, the Bible says they hated him even more. Here's two more reasons for the, just to validate the disdain and the hatred that they had to him. And the story goes on that one day the brothers were feeding the sheep away in Shechem. And Jacob comes to his son Joseph and said, would you just go and make sure your brothers are okay? Would you just go and check out and see what they're doing? Verse 18, and when they saw him afar off. The reason they saw him afar off was because he was like glowing in that robe, you know. There was, there was no dispute who it was. That's Joseph over there. He's like glowing. That's him. Even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Here's his brothers, his flesh and blood, wanting to kill him. They said these words, here comes the dreamer. Here comes that dreamer, let's kill him and then let's see what will happen to his dreams. Verse 21, but Reuben, the oldest brother, he heard their words and he delivered it out of their hands and he said, come on, Let us not kill him. 
He said, come on, let's, let's just change the plot here. Let's not kill him. He said, let's put him into a pit. Let's cast him into a pit. Verse 22 implies the fact that the next day or later that Reuben was going to go and rescue his brother and take him back to his dad. He didn't want harm to come to his brother. So they throw him in a pit. Job is done, so what do they do? They're good southerners. They sit down and have a meal. They want to eat. (laughs) Their brother's screaming in the pit. It's okay. We're going to sit and eat. And while they were eating, a traveling group came past. A caravan of those going on to Egypt came past the Ishmaelites. And Judah had an idea. Verse 26, Judah said, What profit is there if we kill our brother and we conceal his blood? Verse 27, Let us sell So the Bible says they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. That was the price of an average slave of that day. And the Bible says that Joseph was taken to Egypt. Listen to me. Joseph had offended them, so they betrayed him. Here's what they said. We will show him. We will show him. But remember, Joseph had offended them, but offense is never given. It's only ever taken or received. Now Joseph's a slave. And, and we've got to realize the implication of this. To be born a slave is tough enough. But to only know that type of life, that's all that you would know. But Joseph didn't come from that type of life. He was born to be the heir. He was born to be the next apparent. He had the robe to prove it. He was the man. He had a great future. To think as a young man, to have all of that stripped away from him. How hard that must have been. Every day, people believe the life of Joseph must have been like he was a living dead man. He probably wished many days that his brothers had just killed him. Why would I have to go through all of this? And let me interject this. We know the story. Most of us know the story of Joseph. We know the outcome. So the story of Joseph to us is very inspiring. We're like, man, it's a great story about someone who goes through hardships, but they just keep trusting in God. Come on, you can make it through too. It's a great story when you know the outcome, but we've got to remember right now, this isn't how Joseph experienced it. (laughs) He didn't know what the outcome was going to be. He knew he had a dream. But he was living in a different reality to the dream that he dreamt. He was living in a different realm to where he was, the chosen, the handpicked, the blessed son. Now he is told what he can do, when he can do it, and how he can do it. He is living at the opposite spectrum. Every day his dreams, his life seems further away from him. Now he's a slave in Potiphar's house. The Bible says he served for 10 years. After 10 years, the search parties are not looking for him anymore. They've taken down the posters. They're not looking for Joseph anymore. 10 years later, he's gone. He's dead. There's no hope of him ever coming back. But I love this, Genesis 39 verse 2. But the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man. The Bible says Joseph found favor and he was put in charge of the whole household of Potiphar. Everything is finally looking up. He's he's in a position now. He can tell other people what to do. He's he's now got a great position. Things are looking good then. Come on, it's a story full of buts and thens. Then Potiphar's wife gets the hots for Joseph. She wants Joseph. She wants him to sleep with her. And every day he refuses her till one day there's an opportunity that presents itself. Genesis 39 verse 11 and 12. But it happened about the time when Joseph went into the house to do his work. That none of the men of the house were inside. I I believe that she planned this. I believe that she prepared this. She sent them out. Go, go, go to the mall and buy me this. Go out. She got rid of everyone else because she said, this is the day. Finally, I'm going to get what I want. Verse 12. And when Joseph came in and realized, the Bible says that she caught him by his garments. And she said, lie with me. But he ran out, leaving his garment in her hand. And he fled and ran outside. Poor Joseph, he gets in trouble with his clothes. He gets in trouble for having them and he gets in trouble for not having them. You know what I'm talking about? 
And she cries out at the top of her voice, rape. He attacked me. Look. She shows the garment. Look. Here it is. He came in here to do this awful deed to me. So what now? He's in prison. He's cast out. And prisons of those days are nothing like the prisons of today. They were literally thrown in a pit in the ground. The prisons of Egypt were some of the worst. They would feed the prisoners just enough food to keep them alive so they could suffer longer. It was that type of life that he was in. And now as a foreign slave even, he didn't even have any hope because he wasn't even an Egyptian. So there was no hope of anyone ever rescuing him or saving him. Joseph had gone as low as a person could go without being dead. Can you hear Joseph's thoughts from the prison? God, I faithfully served you. It wasn't my fault. God, I'm more loyal than that man's wife. I was the one that ran out. I could have slept with her and hidden it and we could have kept that. And would, God, I was the faithful one. I was the one that did right. And this is my reward. God, the more I try to do right, the worse it seems to get. How could you allow this, God, to happen to me, we know these are Joseph's thoughts because these are our thoughts. Can someone say, me too, me too, me too? God, why did you allow my brothers to do this awful thing to me? Joseph's human just like every one of us. There's a wrestle in his thoughts. There's a wrestle in his heart. Just there, there is... In ours. And he is innocent. He was totally wronged by everyone else. Maybe we're not so innocent. Maybe we have wronged other people. But I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how we got in the mess. What matters is what we do in the mess. Joseph had very little freedom in his life. But he still had the right to choose his response to everything that has happened to him. Maybe you're in a prison right now, but you still have enough freedom to choose the right to whether you're going to hold on to that thing or whether you're going to let go because you are holding the right of what's going to happen to your life. Would Joseph become offended and bitter towards his brothers and eventually God? Because to do that, he would give up all hope of a promised fulfillment. He would never see his dreams come true if he gives up on God. Because he's now allowing other people to control his destiny. Here's the question we've got to ask ourselves. And, and, and I think it's one of those things as, as Christians we kind of just throw out there. The question we really need to ask ourselves this, is God in control? Because we say, oh, you know, um, I just didn't do my taxes properly and everything. But, you know, God's in control. He's going to take care of me. Well, you know, I didn't really do well, but God's in control. He knows. He knows my heart. Yeah, he does know your heart because from your heart comes the wrong thoughts and the wrong actions and the wrong things. So if you want God to, if you want to say God knows my heart, let me tell you, sweetheart, he knows your heart. (laughs) And he knows your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Oh, God's in control. I want to ask the question, is God in control? Is God in control? Because if we don't watch, we can give our lives over to the control of other people. We can try to control our own destiny or we can allow other people to control our destiny. Either way, they're not God's. Yes, it's a tough place. Joseph, I feel for you. I don't like it. I've found myself in many tough places. And, the, and the, the, how can I say it? In those tough places, the easiest thing to do is feel sorry for yourself. And to justify your actions and say, poor me, yes, I can have this. Yes, I can feel this way. Why? Because they wronged me, they did this and they did. I can live offended. Yes, I can. 
But it's also a place that you can realize that God can change me in that place. That God can prepare me to be the next ruler in Egypt. So what are you saying? God can use your adversity for great gain. Or you can choose your adversity for great pain. Whatever you choose, you see, the, the, the struggle is there. We're in it. But what's going to get us out is to only trust God. Because if we're trusting ourselves, we're going to put ourselves deeper, 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 deeper into it. Here's our struggle. Come on, let's just be real today. I just want us to be real. I want to be real and transparent. We, we always try to be open to you all because we're in this with you too. Come on, here's our struggle. Come on, you've been here this week and this week just started this morning. <laughs> you've been here already. God, you could have prevented all this mess. My God, I've probably said that so many times in my life. God, you're God, so why not act like God sometimes? Come on, stop looking at me all crazy and holy. You know you've said that. And if you haven't said it, you've thought it or texted it, and it's just the same as saying it. That's your status on Facebook. You said it. God, you could have prevented all this mess. And you didn't. Bad God. Bad God. And you blame him. If you don't blame God, then you just take the blame of everyone else. It's their fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my husband's fault. If it wasn't for them, if I wasn't married to them, I'd be perfect. It'd be great. If we didn't have those kids, I mean, my God, my kids, if I didn't have them, everything would be great. Oh, my job, if I had a decent boss, everything... I would be able to buy my new car if it wasn't for the job that was closed. Everything is everyone else's blame. It becomes so easy to blame everyone else for the problems that you have. Think how much better off you would be. You convince yourself if you hadn't had all those other people around you. I want you to hear something today. Are you ready? Your boss, the person around you, your family, those around you. No one holds your destiny. Only God. You've got to hear me today. No one holds your destiny but God. But I can choose to surrender my destiny to someone else. Who holds? Who is in control of your life? Oh, God's in control. Is he? Who's holding your destiny? Who's holding your future? I'm telling you in this story, Joseph's brothers tried to hold his destiny. We'll show him. We'll kill him. We'll take him out. But what does the Bible say? God was still with him. How, what, what does that mean? Joseph said, hey, they don't hold my destiny. I'm not going to hold a grudge against them. I'm not going to get bitterness to rise because that's my destiny right now. God is still holding my destiny. Come on, the circumstances all around him tried to hold his destiny. But despite it all, he said, hold on a second. That woman that was unfaithful, she ain't going to hold my destiny. No one else is going to hold my destiny because God is still with me. Most of us, though, we, we, we're, we're plotting revenge. We're like, how can we get them back? What can we do? What, what is going on? I'm telling you right now, if Joseph would have had that response in his heart, if that was his plot, if that was his revenge, God would have left him to rot in a prison. You know why you're still in the place you are? Because God can't take you out. Because you would be a liability to yourself and other people. Because while you've got the stinking thinking and the wrong attitude and you're not surrendering your life over to God, God's keeping you in that place for your own protection. And the protection of those around you. I want to tell you something. I, I, I wish I could preach. I, I just don't have time today. I wish I could really preach this. Are you listening to me right now? God had to know Joseph's heart before he released him from a prison. Why? Because he came out of a prison second in charge. Only Pharaoh was greater than him. That meant if Joseph said, let's muster the army, he could have got the army. And you know what would have happened if he came out with that hatred in his heart towards his brothers? He would have said, here's what we're going to do. You get the biggest army together. You go and hunt down my ten brothers. And we are going to destroy them. And we are going to wipe them off. Why? Because how dare they? I'll show them. 
Can I just remind you, one of his brothers was Judah. May not mean much to you, but can I explain it to you? In the lineage of Jesus Christ, we discover that Jesus would come from the line of Judah. You see, if Joseph would have had the wrong revenge in his heart, he maybe would have killed the lineage of Christ to stop what God wanted to do in this earth. I'm telling you right now, don't worry about what God's doing in someone else's life. You can't stop the lineage of Christ in your life because God wants to burst something in you. And you've got no business to try and destroy what God says, I'm going to turn around and bring life. You're condemning something that God is using to bring about your freedom. And not just the freedom of you. But if Jesus would never have come, we would never have a hope in this world. Come on, if it's not for our lives being right, maybe other people around us are not going to have a hope in this world. For the sake of your future, for the sake of others, what's your choice going to be? You see, to Joseph, the prison was a time of sifting. But it was also a time of opportunity. Because in a prison, he met a butler and a baker. (laughs) In the prison, he met a butler and a baker who became his ticket to the palace. But now he has a second chance. I want to tell you right now, what you may think all hope is lost, God still has a plan. God still has a purpose. God still has a destiny. And God's plan and purpose involves you. He needs you to be engaged in that. Because Joseph didn't only save the Egyptians, he saved every nation around them. And then one day his brothers would stand before him. Psalms 105, 16 and 17. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sent as a slave. Who sent Joseph? God did. We just read in Psalms, the psalmist writes that God sent Joseph Ahead of them. I'm telling you right now, you need to hear me. Someone else did not send you into the place where you're at. God has brought you through so you can be a testimony to other people. Come on, there's only one person that can get you out of the will of God. And that's you, sweetheart. That's your life. That's your decisions. Because only one holds your destiny. And it's God. Oh, Satan baits the trap. Oh, well, look, yeah, they've done wrong. You and I never have the right to be offended. Opportunities, yes. Right, no. Because, listen to me, if you take that right, you control your future. But if you give that right to God, He turns around what man has meant for evil. And He brings about great good. If you stay free from offense, you're going to stay in the will of God. You're going to stay in the provision of God. If you become offended, you will be taken captive by the enemy to fulfill his own purpose and will for your life. To steal, kill and destroy. That's his purpose for mankind. You've got to take your pick. One last scripture and I'm going to shut up today. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The Bible says this, no temptation has overtaken you. Such is common to man. We all deal with the same things. We have all the same opportunities to be offended and take those sins into our hearts and life. But God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. And with the offense, with the temptation, with the struggle, what do we see? God says, I'll be your way of escape Every time, every time, every time. I'm telling you right now, I don't know how you got in the place where you're at, but you've got to release it and give it to God. You've got to ask for forgiveness from those people that have wronged you. You've got to line your life up with God because God says, I'm your ticket out of jail. I'm the one that can bring you through. I'm the one that can give you peace again. I'm the one that can give you the breakthrough that you need in your life. I'm the one that can promote you when man has tried to destroy you. Why? Because I'm the one that holds your destiny. Come on, if you believe that, stand to your feet all over this place today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, we can do better than that. Let's praise God in the house. Come on, let's praise God in the house. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! 
Here's the question. Who's in control? Who's in control? Who's in control? Come on, we can say God is, but is he? Is he? If you've got unforgiveness in your heart, God's not in control. God's got part control. He hasn't got whole control. What do we know about God? God doesn't want a part of you. He's a jealous God. He wants all of you. He wants everything of you. Have we been offended? Is there opportunity? Yes, 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 yes. What are we doing for? I'm telling you right now, God's going to keep us in a bondage and in a place of defeat because he cannot release us into freedom if that's what's still in our heart because he knows what we would be capable of doing. It's a time of sifting. It's a time of preparation because God is preparing you for the next level of your life. But you're going to have to go through this. You can't go around it. You're going to have to go through it. You're going to have to shake yourself free. I believe some people in this place need to shake themselves free. Come on, every head bowed and every eyes closed in this place. Come on, who's, who's got unforgiveness in your heart right now? Come on, just put your hands up all over this place. I'm harboring unforgiveness. I've got unforgiveness. I've got unforgiveness. Come on, there's more in here. You know there is. The, I've got unforgiveness in my heart. I've got, um, come on, if you've lifted up your hand, I want you to make your way to the front. would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.